Christians, even in this country, that are forbidden from meeting. And overseas, in many places where they're persecuted, Christians are persecuted, they're, they're, they're killed for their faith, God under oppression. And we just, we just pray for those that are suffering in that way today. And from our standpoint, we just want to thank you that we can come before you and we can praise and worship you together. Something happens when we come together and we praise you together. You said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And we know that when we, we come together and we worship and praise you, that, that you establish a powerful beachhead of the spiritual presence of the living God here in Eau Claire and other parts of this city and this state and this nation and world. And as we praise you and worship you, Lord, I pray that we would not take this for granted. We would understand in a new way the power that comes from worshiping the living God in chorus together. And I just pray that you would encourage the church today, this church today. Father, thank you that we were able to start other ministries today. We thank you for the life and vibrancy. We thank you for what you're doing. And we just pray, God, that you would continue to build your church. It's not about us. It's your church around the world. It's about your church. It's about people who don't yet know you. We exist for the benefit of those that are not yet here. And I pray that you'll keep our, our focus on that as well. And I pray today, Lord Jesus, as we look at your word, as we begin this, this study today, that you would speak truth in life that nothing in me would get in the way of what you want to say to us today. That we would be transformed because we've been in your presence with other believers praising you and we've heard from your living word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Perception of who you are, our identity, really affects. 
reflects how you think, it motivates everything you do. Our identity and self-awareness is next to our relationship with other people, with our spouse, with our parents, our children, our friends, our siblings, even our enemies. Our identity also profoundly influences our relationship with God, our relationship with God. Our identity is developed over our entire lifetime. And by the time we reach our 40s, some of you aren't there yet, some are a couple years past, and that's okay. Um, we used to have a pretty good idea of what we're not, okay? How many of you have been back to a, a high school reunion? Maybe your 20s or something, but okay. Back to your high school reunion. And we discovered, you know, you may have been the quarterback in your high school football team, but you probably aren't an Aaron Rodgers, okay? You may have been a basketball star, but never heard like the truth. You may have been class president, but never entered politics. You left, okay, just say that. You may have been a singer, but you never reached the apex of a Barbara Streisand or Justin Bieber. You may have been voted the, the most likely to succeed, but you aren't an Elon Musk. Now, when we look back on life, we find that we may not have achieved notoriety, fame, or wealth. But the question is, does that mean we're all Disney failures? Because sometimes we kind of feel like it. Let's say you're 23 and does God have a plan for me? Is the question. Am I important to God? Am I important to anyone else? Am I valued for anything other than cleaning my kids' rooms, washing their clothes, providing meals and transportation? Am I valued for anything other than just providing money for my family? For a house and cars and clothes? Am I valued by my friends for anything other than just listening to their problems and keeping them company? Who am I? How do I know who I am? And how do I develop this knowledge? Anyway, how do I develop this knowledge? What is my identity? What is my identity? Now, we're going to start today by looking at our identity past, in the past. Okay? And I've asked some people to help me. Uh, I need additional volunteers. I need 12 volunteers to come up here. Six over here and six over there. So those of you that are already recruited, you can come up and just stand, okay? And I'm going to need uh, eight more, okay? Mary, come on up. Anybody else? Come on in, volunteers. It's not a trick thing, okay? Here we go. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. Yes, yes. I see that hand, okay? How many have you got? Okay, we need a couple more over here. Okay. Okay, I'm going to pass up cards now. These, these are, these are roles, relationships that we have, all of us have in our life, okay? Now you, what I want you to do is just hold that up, this is dad. You can be mom. Don't look at the back yet. You're a math teacher, you're an English teacher, and science teacher, okay? Now we have over here, I'm going to have that, I'm sorry. You're a music teacher. Sing a few notes. Wow. Okay, good. <laughs> You're Matt Myrtle. You represent friends, acquaintances, big brother, and I think I have one more. Ah, we got the exact right numbers. Amazing. Okay, move around. Okay, now. <laughs> this is generic. Okay, now, we also have a volunteer, um, Olaf. And now I want Olaf to come in. 
a lot of people that are significant in his life, okay? And this is what he made. Now, this isn't totally accurate, necessarily, but this is what he has and what he perceives these different people to see, okay? So, now, Olaf's, first of all, let's start with Dad. What is he? Now, turn it over. There you go. Okay, Dad sees him as irresponsible and rebellious and lazy, okay? Now, just keep that. Just keep that up. Mom, dependent, waiting, and moody. <laughs> now, now we have a coach. A coach, and oh, dependable, hardworking, and conscientious. Oh, that's nice. Now we have we have Olaf's math teacher. <laughs> now we have an English teacher. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Sound sound this is a little bit of Okay. Then we have the science teacher. Okay, average student, but okay, okay. Then we have a music teacher. Average, funny, good humor, right? This is humor. And Murdo. Okay, sees Olaf as such a cute little kid, isn't that? <laughs> and then friends. Oh, Olaf is sensitive, caring, and good friend. So when you ask your friends, what, what is Olaf like? That's what you get. Okay? Then you have acquaintances. They don't know him at all the year. Okay? Not friends do. Now, big brother. Oops, turn around. Oh, here we go. Spoiled brat in the past. Isn't that a typical thing? I, I was the youngest, I remember my big brother. But the little brother is, thinks Olaf is awesome. Okay? Doesn't that make sense now? Look at this for a minute. Now, Olaf here is growing up and is in high school and has for years now been processing all of these messages from all these different people. It's called a reflective image. And has to identify all that and figure out what's true. Some of it's true, some of it's not. Some of it's part true, some of it's not. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, let's give all our volunteers a hand for
I would like to identify with people in this neighborhood. Okay, that's what I'm going to identify with. Or I am where I work. I am where I work. Whether it's the county, the school district, or the hospital, or the medical clinic, the tech firm, or small business, home business. I am where I work. Or I am what I do for a living. I am what I do for a living. A teacher, a coach, a, maybe a business owner, a banker, an attorney, a business executive, a carpenter, a builder, a plumber, a homemaker, a computer tech, a daycare worker, go on and on. And we identify and say, this is, this is what I am. Somebody says, who am I? I am what I, what I do for work. Or I am who I'm friends with. We identify with our peer, the peer group, our friends. Or I am who I relate to or hang out with. Or I am who I'm responsible for. I am who I'm responsible for. Whether it's a mother, homemaker, father, best husband, whatever. I am who I'm responsible for. I am who I know. Or I am what I used to do. Okay, you're retired. They say, who am I? Well, I'm a retired this. I used to do this, used to do that. So, so our present identity is I am what I used to do. Now, or it's, I am what I do for recreation. I went camping, fishing, hunting, skiing, boating, whatever, whatever that recreation is. And so we say, I am this. Then there's the, the very interesting one is, I am what I don't do. I am what I don't do. That, that would be legalistic Christians or other religious people who identify by prohibitions what they don't do. So sometimes we have people that identify with who they are and what they don't do. Very now, while these candles that I just listed are, are, are true of identity, they do not do the full picture. They just identify the physical realm or, or what's identifiable or observable. And all of us, we are much more than the sum total of what we drive, own, wear, do, or relate to. For the next 15 weeks, okay, next 15 weeks, we are going to discover who we are according to the book of Ephesians. Who we are according to the book of Ephesians. Not who we are in the past, not who we are just in the present physical realm, but who we are in Jesus Christ. Okay? Who we are in Jesus Christ. It's only in Jesus Christ in relation to our creator God that we can discover who we truly are. It's the self-esteem versus Christ-esteem. Not self-esteem, it's Christ-esteem. Who am I? Who are we in God's eyes? Who am I in God's eyes? Not in the eyes of other people, the world around us, not even in my own eyes, but who am I in God's eyes? It's discovering our biblical identity, our biblical identity. Paul the Apostle wrote a letter to a group of people in Ephesus, which is a region in ancient Turkey, and today we're going to begin a journey to discover our identity in Christ. To discover our identity in Christ. And so, Roman numeral three is identity in Christ. And I'd like you to turn with me. We're going to start with the book of Ephesians. Uh, page 946, if you're looking for the uh, uh, Bible in the rack in front of you. Ephesians. First chapter. We're going to just look at the first six verses today as we start. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, 
justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And then one other verse, because it's kind of a sharp quote. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. New creation. When we discover our identity, it all starts with letter A. It starts with new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, new creation. The, the old has gone, the new has come. And that has to be the starting point for who am I? Who am I? And no matter what our past identity, our past history, our present identity, we all start at the same place with Jesus Christ. That's where we start. And Jesus described it first in John, the third chapter, as being born again. Being born again. Uh, Pastor Josh talked about last week about being saved, about coming into a relationship with God through this, this person, Jesus Christ. Being born again. Jesus is the one who gives us all the chance to start over and start new. Don't we love new starts and new chances? All the time we get a new chance and a new start. And when we came to Jesus Christ, we were born again. Jesus is the one that needs to become a new creation. Now many of you here, if you've been born again, can remember when you started over, when you were born again, not physically, but spiritually. It's that time where we confess to God I'm a sinner, I need God. I can confess my sin and I ask God to forgive my sins and, and give me a fresh start. And if you did that, I hope you remember the time you did that. There may be some of you here today that have never done that and you still need to do that, and that's okay. This message is still for you. And, and let me just say something. For some people, coming to Christ in that new birth process is a process that takes time. And they look back and they go, I don't know when it started, but I know at this point I was born again. Okay. Some people it takes, some people it's like, boom, I know the exact time and place that it happened. Other people, and they look back and they go, wow, I know that I was born again. But the key is, it's a process, it's a growing process. And that's where we start. Our true identity is in Jesus Christ. We become a new creation, brand new creation. Next comes sainthood. Sainthood. Saint. Let it be a saint. You say, me? A saint? Paul writes in verse 1, he says he's writing to the saints in Ephesus. And today this letter is to the saints in Oprah. Saints. Now, saints are simply God's chosen people. People chosen, people set apart. They're the they're the community of God, people in the community of God. It's the family of God. And since we are new creations in Christ, the Bible calls us saints. Okay? Saints. A lot of people say, well, don't we have to do something to become a saint? Don't we have to do something? Well, one church, which will remain unnamed, elevates only certain people to saints, but based on their achievements. 
Okay, you've probably heard that before. They, they elevated somebody, they saved them because now they reached that and they've done some great things. But we are saints not because of what we have done. We are saints because of what God has done. Let me say that again. We are saints not because of what we have done. We are saints because of what God has done. We are saints because of God's actions, because of what Jesus has done. Jesus died, paid for our sins, and he made us new creations. And because of that, he calls us saints. Okay? I don't want everybody to go out and put that on the front of your cards and say, I'm, I'm St. Joe and I'm St. Mark. We don't want to go that far. But in God's eyes, in reality and identity, we are saints. We are saints because of what Jesus has done. Jesus paid for our sins. Now, the only difference between you and a swindler is Jesus. Okay? The only difference between me and a murderer is Jesus. The only difference between you and a prostitute is Jesus. The only difference between us and a thief, a, a, a rapist, a drunk, an adulterer, you name the sin, the only difference between them and us is Jesus. Jesus makes us saints. Not because of something we did. But we confessed our sin and he made us saints. Feel good about yourself, Father? Just, just check it. Want to see if you feel good? Now, sainthood does not come from what we have done or not done, but from what God has done through Jesus. So he calls these people, he calls us saints, the, the faithful in Christ Jesus. In verse 1, we are called saints. It's, it, it's critical that we understand when we are in this relationship with God, we are declared saints. In verse 3, he says, we are told that we have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Now we're going to come back to what that means, but first I want to look at why. Why, why do we have all those spiritual blessings? What has God done to accomplish such an incredible, incredible work? What has God done to accomplish this task in us to make us who we are? Well, verse 4 begins with a conjunction. Those of you like grammar, fine. You may not like grammar, but we're going to look at grammar, okay? Verse 4 begins with what's called a conjunction, which attaches two things. It says, for... And the Greek word is kapos, which is as, just as, inasmuch as, because, insofar as, to the degree that. In other words, we have sainthood and we have all these spiritual blessings because, as a result of, to the degree that, and then we look at what follows. So, we have all of this because there are four major actions God took. Four major actions God took. First of all, let us see, we were chosen. We were chosen by God. We were chosen by God. Verse 4 says he chose us. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now, men, men, can you remember back before you were married what life was like? Do you remember what life was like? It was confusing, dating fear, looking high and low, traveling all over the world. And finally, you found the love of your life and she proposed. It's just, it's amazing. <laughs> Didn't it feel great to be chosen? You were chosen. Now, my father was a pastor, and in my childhood, we moved around a lot. 
I mean, three, four years. And I was always a new kid in the neighborhood. Always a new kid in the neighborhood. And I will never forget the feeling of standing in a line as neighborhood kids would choose teams. Everybody lines up. And you got the two captains. They're the two big jocks in the neighborhood. And they're going to choose team, baseball or football, whatever it was. I knew nobody knows if I can hit the ball or catch or anything. I'm small for my age. And finally, at the end of the line, they do me and said, okay, chosen last. I'll take you. That's why I'm so assertive here. I always have to prove myself. Some of you say that explains a lot. That's okay. It's like they didn't know. It's like being chosen last. Okay, some of you know that feeling. You've been there. Many of you can identify with that. Well, let me tell you something. God chose you first. God chose you first. We didn't have to prove ourselves to God. He knew we couldn't hit the ball. He knew we would mess up. He knew we were all sinners. But he chose us anyway. You were chosen. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in his death. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 15, 16, Jesus says to his followers, and he says to us, You did not choose me, but I chose you. You. I chose you. You have to prove anything. He just chose you. People say, but did I choose to follow Jesus? That yes, we choose to respond. We'll talk more about that later. But in essence, God chose you. When did God choose you? When did God choose you? There, there's another qualifier. We find that God chose you. Before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world. God chose me that long ago? You know, we learn in our educational systems that everything around us happens by chance, whether it's Darwinianism, selection of the species, Big Bang Theory, evolution, whatever. The Bible contradicts all that. See, God is the designer of this universe, the world in which we live, and you are part of that design. God says it right here. He says he chose you before creation. Now talk about planning ahead. He chose you before creation. God planned for you to be here before he even created the world. Wow. Wow. I didn't say that. I said The Apostle Paul, remember the whole scripture said, he chose you. How many of you are, are impulsive, spontaneous? Okay. How many of you like to plan everything you have? Okay. okay. Some of you can't have enough information, you still can't make a decision. Oh, yeah, that's good. We all need more information. That's kind of what happens. We learn all of the math of that. You know, I think about marriage. Some, some people propose on the second date. Some date for eight to ten years. And she says, hey, I'm not Sarah, you're not Abraham, you better decide soon. But see, God, God makes no snap decisions. He, he plans ahead. And he had a plan for the universe for a very long time. And that included you. Included you. 
because of what I have done, but because of what God had done. See, we have self-importance, which is humanism, or maybe narcissism or whatever, self-importance. And we have, here we have God-importance. God-importance is, is value placed on us by God. Value placed on us by God. How many of you have ever sold or purchased something on eBay? How many got hurt? Thing, 
is that God, you were adopted into God's family. Verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Adopted. Now, this is God's family plan. Okay? This is God's family plan. Now, have you ever heard a couple talk about a surprise baby? Surprise baby. I, I never really understood the term surprise baby. It's like the baby hides in there for nine months and pops out and says, here I am, surprise. And dad said, did you know you were having a baby? No, I didn't know I was having a baby. It's a surprise to me too. Seriously? I never understood that surprise baby, but that's that's what it is. Well, we become part of God's family, not by surprise, but by plan. By plan. It says we are predestined to be adopted. Predestined. Now, there, there's, this is from the Greek word chorizo. You're not going to want to know that. If you want to know more about that, Pastor Josh uh, Seminary, one recent analogies, he worked hard to get this. But anyway, it's an, just so you know, it's an honor to see you in masculine part of participle earth perspective. Okay. You want to know that. And what it means is to decide from the beginning or beforehand. So it's really not that complicated. To decide from the beginning or beforehand. In Romans 8, 29 and 30, it says this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, full denominations disagree about these verses. But, and too much time is usually spent on trying to understand what we will never know. Instead of trying to understand what we can know, just to say. We can know. This, this word prorisas or predestination is based on foreknowing or foreknowledge. Now it's, and basically, prognisos means to know already, to know beforehand, to choose from the beginning and choose beforehand. It's, it's God's will that all be saved, but we have a free will. Okay? And God knows. Who's going to respond positively? And God knows who's going to respond negatively. And upon that foreknowledge, his knowledge, he predestines us. Okay? That's as simple as that can be. Based on the foreknowledge of what, what, how we're going to respond to Jesus, he predestines us. Predestination is not causative. Predestination is based on the foreknowledge of God that states a simple fact. Get out of the weeds, simply put, God planned your adoption. Okay? God planned your adoption. Your plan. It's part of your plan. It's family planning. Not by surprise, but by plan and purpose. Now, our position was orphans, not because we lost our parents, but because we were separated from God because of sin. Sin makes us godless, makes us orphans, separated from God. And then we are adopted through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure. In his will. In John 1 12, it says, Yet to all received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, adopted as his child. Who am I? Who am I? I'm a new creation. I'm a saint, chosen by God, long time ago, made holy and blameless in his sight, and adopted into God's family. 
glorious grace which has freely made us from one who loves. All that is who I am. That's just the first six verses. Who am I? It's coming now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us a, to all this information just in a short period of time of who we are. And I pray, God, as we go through your words, we begin to understand more and more who you made us to be and the incredible value you place on us.